All right, let's dig into the, the message for this morning. We've been in a series that we're about to wrap up. We're, this is the second of the last week. We've been looking at fishing for life. Now, let, let me explain what we're talking about. There's a point at which Jesus actually hadn't called anyone to follow him. Follow him. He hadn't asked anybody to follow him. And there's a point in his life where he went down by Sea of Galilee, and there were four fishermen fishing. And they'd been fishing all night, and they hadn't caught a thing. All night they'd been fishing. I don't know if you fish, but that's, that's no fun, frankly. And especially if you're doing it for a living, you're really starting to get concerned because you've gone through this, you know, this whole evening and through the night, wee hours of the morning, you haven't caught anything. Well, he sees them. And he yells out to them, put your net on the other side of the boat. Now, you wonder what was going on in their minds. It was Simon and Andrew and then uh, James and John. They were brothers, two sets of brothers. And they're thinking, who is this guy? You know, I'm a fisherman. I know. I, we've been doing this all night. We're, you know, no, any, I don't know what they were thinking. But they did what he said. They put the net on the other side of the boat and they brought in an amazing haul of fish. They just, it was, they were, you know, my picture is those nets are full. They're trying to drag them in the boat. The fish are flopping all over the place. And they're, whoa, this is amazing. At that moment, Jesus says, and it's recorded in Matthew 4:19, Come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Because what do you do when you catch fish? Well, then you got to deal with the fish. They're smelly and you got to clean them and get them ready to eat. And so he uses that experience to turn their sights, to turn their hearts and minds toward what he's going to do if they decide to follow him. And what he's going to do is he's going to make them fishers of men. And what he means by that is from now on, you've been fishing for fish, those smelly things. From now on, what I want you to do, if you follow me, and what I'm going to equip you to do and get you ready to do is find people who are lost to God and help them connect with God through me. What I'm going to show you how to do is help people come to know God. And so we've been looking in this message series of different angles, different aspects of what that means. Last week, we looked at how scary that is to try to communicate your faith with people who aren't connected to God and maybe don't care or they aren't concerned or they actually are antagonistic or whatever it is. There's, there's this twinge of fear, and actually the fear, that's when it gets exciting, isn't it? I mean, that's when life is... If you just do what you always do, the same old, same old, boring. But Jesus gave us this assignment to try to help other people connect with God through himself. And so it's scary. He doesn't just leave us alone to ourselves. He wants us to get outside of ourselves to love and serve and care for other people and try to help them get to know him and find out who he is. And through him, connect with God. That's, that's the assignment. So over the next three years, Jesus equipped those, those guys, those four guys, those four fishermen. And then there was a collection of others that, that totaled 12 main guys that Jesus equipped to fish 
for life. And, and what that means is you do it your entire life. This is something you do for life. And, but you're really helping people find life in God because there's an eternal quality to, to life. Once you connect with God, that makes things very different. This life keeps bubbling up within you, and it, it makes a difference across the board in your life. So that's what we've been talking about. Well, he equipped them over the next three years. Then he died, died on the cross, was raised from the dead, and went on to heaven. And those guys, those 12 guys, began to fish. They began to do what he told them they were going to do, what he equipped them to do. They began to speak up whenever there was an opportunity, not volume, not loud, not cramming it down anybody's throat, but just speaking up when there was an opportunity to tell the message about who Christ is. And they began to help people connect with God through Christ and find eternal life. I listened to a a guy speaking this week who said, really, a more accurate description is eternal living. It's not eternal life. It's not something that just makes a difference later on, but it makes a difference today because you start eternal living. You live differently. And there's a different quality to our our life once, once we decide to follow Christ. So we've been talking about sharing this message or telling others this message. The message we have to tell is not intuitive. It's not something that you figure out on your own. It, it's, it's something that has to be explained person to person, so that's why Jesus gave us this assignment. And not only is it something that has to be told from person to person, God has to reveal the truth of it to the person that is hearing the message. And he does that. Trying to do this can be scary and uncomfortable at times so the lord jesus wants us to do this in a group he's he's put this group together a group churches come together to communicate this message teams of people jesus made sure that we have a partner that we are the church together doing what god wants us to do and we're called to work together to get this message out that's the core of what we're doing So I want to start with another conversation this morning that Jesus had with his disciples. And I want to pull some very important things out of the conversation that he had that show us what Jesus is doing in history. And it's a very important passage of Scripture that we're looking at. And what you find in it and what's going on behind the scenes, I mean, there's the stuff we can see. There are the people, there are things going on, political movements, all kinds of tragedies going on. Behind all the scenes of history, Jesus is doing something. Jesus is building his church, and it won't be stopped. It cannot be stopped. This is what we gather as we look at the conversation we're going to dig into this morning. We're going to look at one of the defining moments of history. This morning in Matthew 16. Much of Jesus' work, what he was doing, hinged on this conversation itself. Because these 12 guys, they had to get it. They had to understand who he was, what he was about, why he came to earth, what he was trying to accomplish. If they didn't get it, then everything he'd done on this, he, had, he would have to scrap it and start over and, and, and try again with some more guys. So... We're going to look at this conversation, and this is what I imagine 
is going on in heaven when this conversation is taking place. I think all the angels of heaven, they know how important this is. They know what Jesus came to do. And so I think they're, maybe they're stuck. I don't know this. This is just Randy's conjecture. But maybe they stop and they listen in on this conversation. That's how important it is. So I want to look at what was said. Matthew 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He was talking about himself. He's the Son of Man. In other words, what's the word on the street about me? What what are people saying? what's, What's the word? They replied, some say, you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist was actually Jesus' cousin who um, was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus, to let people know, hey, this is the one we've been looking for, the Messiah. He's coming. This is him. And so he was sent to prepare the way. They thought, well, reincarnation or something. I don't know what they thought, but some say you're John the Baptist. Maybe they looked alike since they were cousins. That might be it. So that some people are thinking John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, one of the prophets from the Old Testament. Still others, Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. So what you find out is people are talking about Jesus. They're trying to figure out who he is, and they've concluded that he's from God, but they're not quite sure who or what or why. They've concluded for sure that he's not just your everyday person. He is a prophet from God, but they're not quite sure about that. And then Jesus turns and asks the most important question that anybody can be asked on the face of this earth. That's the most important question that you and I have to answer in our lives. He says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? That is the question. If you're investigating Christianity, that's what you have to answer. Christianity stands or falls on whether or not Jesus is who he says he is. If he is the Son of God, if he really did raise from the dead, which is the core issue that you can actually investigate, there's evidence for, if he is, then, boy, there is eternal living. There's an eternal quality to life today because of what he's done. So that's the big question. And this is the moment, I'm imagining, if the angels are looking in, they're holding their breath to see what the guys are going to say, and you can see what he says. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the the angels let the, you know, they let their breath out. He got it. (laughs) They're getting it. They're beginning to understand who Jesus is. And what Peter says is that even though you look like one of us, even though you look like a normal guy, you wear the same clothes we do, you were a carpenter, you do the same kind of stuff we do, you are not a normal guy, you are God himself. That's what he's saying in this phrase. That's what that means. You are God. You are his son that he sent to save us, to make life, to, to, to grant eternal life and this eternal living that's promised. Jesus then replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man. I, told, I was mentioning earlier how this has to be revealed to us in the context of understanding the message. But by my Father in heaven, this was revealed. And then he changes Peter's name. This is what he says. I tell you that you are Peter. 
He was Simon before this, but he renames him. He changes his name to Peter, which means stone, like a stone you can hold in your hand and throw on the lake. Skip, you know, like a stone that you skip across the lake. A stone. And on this rock, that's a different word. This was originally written in Greek. It's a different word. On this rock, and he, this word means a mountainous boulder, like the side of a mountain or the side of a cliff. A mountainous boulder. On this rock, I will build my church. So that's, that's, that's an amazing, this is an amazing thing that's going on here. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against this. Jesus is building his church, and it will not be stopped. Peter, I am going to build my church on this rock. And what he means by this rock is the confession that he just made. Not on Peter himself. He's a little stone. But the confession was mountainous. It was mountainous. This was momentous. This was a key part of history that we get to read about and that everybody was watching. Now, here are a couple of of interesting things about Jesus' comments here. At this point in history, the word church was not a religious word. It wasn't a religious term. The word church referred to, it was a word in the Greek that referred to an assembly of voting citizens in a city. So it was an assembly that got together and voted. That's the church. So they're, they're listening to what he has to say. Oh, okay, he's going to build his church. What, what does that mean <laughs> exactly? But they probably were clued in somewhat. Um, what he's saying is, on this statement, on this confession that Peter made, he will build a new citizenship. He's going to build groups. They're sort of outposts, colonies of heaven. And he's going to build these groups to accomplish his purpose on the earth. His confession, Peter's confession, is the foundation for this, for all the groups. This confession that Jesus is the Son of God is the thing that all Christians have in common. There, there are all kinds of groups. We, we, there are disagreements on minor and sometimes more important issues. But this confession we all agree with. And I would imagine that these 12 guys are listening to this and they're, they're experiencing and they're, they're sort of bewildered because I would imagine they had a sense of how important this moment was as well. Well, we, we've just said it. We've been thinking this, but it, Peter, of course, he's always the mouthpiece. He says it. God revealed it to him. He says it. And, and so they're, they're beginning to see what's going on. And then Jesus says, nothing can stop this church. I'm going to continue to build it throughout history. Now, it went from these 12 guys and today. It it actually, at one point in the Roman Empire, 50%, it's estimated 50% of the people in that part of the world were Christians from these 12 guys. Today, 33% of the world is estimated to be Christian. So this is, this is what Jesus is doing behind the scenes of history that we read about in the papers, behind the things that we see going on. He is building his church, and it will not be stopped, and he is building it on this confession when people conclude 
that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I also find it interesting, the picture that he paints, the, the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not prevail against it. I used to read that growing up, and I thought, oh, you know, we can withstand the gates of hell. You know, as they come, no, gates don't move. So the picture is a rescue operation where we're going in and finding people who are destined to hell and making sure that they know Jesus Christ and helping them connect with God and experience the eternal living that God offers. That's the picture that he paints. Nothing is going to stop this case. So when we fish, we've been talking about fishing. And that's, you know, something we do for relaxation and recreation. You know, you go put your line in the water and you got a picnic lunch. And actually, when we're fishing, we're storming the gates of hell. We are, we are going to find people who need to know God. And so it's a very, very core part of what Jesus wants his followers to do and what he wants groups of followers, his assemblies, churches. That's what he calls us to do, is to go out and find people. So fishing for life is the focal point of the church. And I want to make this point because this is what we're all about. This is the centerpiece of why we exist as a group. If we aren't doing this, we shouldn't be wasting our time and effort and money. Fishing for life is the focal point. Look at what Jesus said right before he went back to heaven in Acts 1.8. In this passage, Jesus raised from the dead, and he appeared to the disciples, and he had several conversations with them. And the disciples are asking him in one of the conversations, Jesus, when are you coming back to set up this kingdom? By now, they're getting the picture. He's setting up a kingdom. It's a different kind of kingdom. Maybe because we're his friends, we can have an extra dose of power in the kingdom. You know, when, when are you going to do what's What's the time? When are you going to do this? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times and dates. He asks, they ask a question about what's going to happen in the future. He doesn't want to talk about what's happening in the future. This is what he says. But you will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Not like a prosecuting attorney or a judge, but witnesses, faithful witnesses who just tell what they saw, what they've seen and heard. They tell others about Christ and what he's done in their life and what he's done for everyone. But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the disciples are told to wait, and so that's what they did. They didn't just go out and start talking about Jesus. They waited. And you can read in Acts 2 what happened when the Holy Spirit came. It was amazing. It caused a lot of commotion. A crowd gathered. Peter sees the crowd. They're wanting to know what went on. Why did that happen? What just happened? And Peter speaks up. He uses the opportunity to explain what had happened. He ties in Old Testament prophecy. You can check it out yourself to what just happened. And then he tells the crowd about Christ, who Jesus was, why he lived, why he died, why he raised from the dead, and how you can be connected to God through him. 3,000 men decide to follow Christ that day. That doesn't include the women and children. That's, to me, I wonder if the disciples, after that was all over and all the excitement, thought about that net full of fish. And they began to see the lives that were changing because of what they were doing. 
The Spirit came in a dramatic way and He used the opportunity to tell others about who Jesus was. The new assembly begins. The new church begins. Here's a brief description of, of what happened after this. There's, there's actually a, a few verses before this that talk about their love and their kindness to one another. And then it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So you get the picture. This this group, it was a great thing to be a part of this group. Boy, they, they loved one another. They enjoyed the company. But it wasn't just about themselves. It was about adding people to their number, continuing to include people, continuing to get past themselves and include others in, in the life of the church. And there are two things that happen in a fully functioning congregation that you find in this passage. First of all, they gain the respect of people around them. They gain respect from the world because of the way they live, because of the way they treat one another, the way they relate to others. And they keep increasing in number. They keep adding to their number those who are being saved. So, so we aren't called to be an assembly, a church, a group of people that comes together and just hang out and enjoy ourselves. We aren't supposed to just circle the wagons and try to keep everybody else away and try to make sure our little group's just really nice and fun and dandy. But we're called to witness. We're called to tell others about Christ. Now, there are three components of our witness, and I just want to go over these quickly, and I'll get back to a couple of them later. First one is to tell others. We've been talking about that. You can check out the passages that are connected with these points. But we speak up and declare the message whenever we have opportunity. That's what happens here on Sunday morning as well. Second component is to bring others. There's a couple stories about uh, Andrew and Philip in John 1 and then Matthew in Luke 5 who brought their friends so that they could meet Christ. It's another thing we do. We bring our friends and family who don't yet know God into a place where they can hear him, into a group where they can see what he's like. And then finally, another component is we show others by the way we treat each other, by the way we relate. We're going to look at this later as well in a few minutes. We show others what he's like, what he's all about. And, and we do that by showing consideration and providing a safe environment for people to explore Christianity. That's, that's what we're all about. That's what we want to do. First Peter 3.15 says we tell others, but we tell others about Christ with gentleness and respect. We do it in a very gracious way. So that's our goal. That's our goal as a group. And we're, we're assigned this as a group. And so as we set out to accomplish our purpose in life, we've got people to, to do this with. We've got people to walk through life with. Fishing is always a team effort in the Bible. Always a team effort. And I just jotted down some, some different teams just to show you that it's always a team effort in the Bible. There, there's the 70. This is the first group of people Jesus sent out to tell others about him, to tell the message about him in Luke 10. You can read about it. First mission trip, they went out two by two in teams. They, they partnered up. Peter and John, it wasn't just Peter who, Peter was always the guy who had something to say, you know, the extrovert, just quick, 
said it. He was always that guy. But John was with him. Other guys were with him. They did this stuff as a team. Paul and Barnabas and John Mark were the first missionary team sent out from the church in Jerusalem. You can read about it in Acts 13. That was his first team. Then it became Paul and Silas and Barnabas and John Mark because Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement about whether or not they should take John Mark with them because John Mark had bailed earlier. And Paul's like, I don't want John Mark. He's going to, you know, he's a crybaby. He went, you know, he got homesick, went home, and I don't want him. Barnabas goes, well, I'll take him anyway. Find out later he's actually Barnabas' cousin, so he had a, a big heart. But Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. So you get the idea. He had some gifting and some strengths that Paul didn't have. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't have the patience that Barnabas had. So anyway, it becomes, but it's always teams. You always see teams. It's Paul and Timothy. They work together. Paul sends Timothy out with a team of people. Paul sent Epaphroditus to give a message to some people one time. You can read about it in the New Testament. But it's always a team. And at the end of his letters to churches that he had started, many times Paul would talk about his teammates, what was going on. One teammate, too. He, he left the team because he fell in love with what, the world, and he, he's not following Christ anymore. Others, like Epaphroditus, Epaphroditus is going to bring you a message. He's done well. He's really given you all a good name, Epaphroditus. The word actually means handsome. He, this guy was named Handsome, Epaphroditus. Um, but he, 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 show, he points out, you find out as you get into the New Testament, fishing is always a team effort. We do this as a team, and there's a tremendous amount of value in a team. And it, not only in terms of telling others the message of Christ or fishing for life, but in life itself, we need a team. We need a group of people that we're walking through it with, that we can share what's going on, who will grant support and strengthen us in ways that we aren't strengthened if we're trying to do it alone. Fishing for life was never meant to be a solo mission. It's also true that life itself, living life, isn't meant to be a solo mission. So some of the things I'm going to talk about here, when I talk about the value of a team, apply across the board. We need to find people that we connect with who can help us get through life and deal with the ups and downs of the things that we're facing. Here's, here's some of the things that, that are so valuable about a team. First of all, prayer support. We can pray for one another. Specifically, uh, Paul asked for prayer in Colossians 4, 2 through 4. He tells the, the church there to devote themselves to prayer, be watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. He's writing this from prison. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. So he, that's one thing that happens on a team. As, as we go out to do this together, we pray and support each other that way. Secondly, there's added strength on a team. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 12 says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. There's strength, added strength to doing things together, to doing life together, to doing God's mission that he's given us together. And as the team works together, there's 
there's help. When one falls, another one can pick them up. They can support. They can bring the help that they need. I'd like to show you a video clip that illustrates this. And it, it may be a little dark, so you've got to kind of peel your eyes and, and look pretty closely at what's going on. But it's from Robin Hood. Um, and what's happening is Robin's fighting for the English army, and they're trying to storm a castle. And I try to pick out what, what happens. If you can't see it, I'll explain what happened in the clip. But there's, you know, it's, this is a good guy clip. And so I'm just showing it to you to make a point. Calm and careful. Make it count. Go! That's the part I think is cool at the end with the, the fire. I don't know if you could tell what was going on there, but uh, there was a guy from Robin Hood's crew of archers. His role was to go to the gate and load the explosives. His, his leg gets caught in the gate, and so he has to be rescued by the other guy. And then they shoot the, the arrows. The whole thing blows up. That's a picture of the, the added value of a team, the strength that comes as we work together as a team to accomplish a purpose, as we live life. Boy, when one of us needs help, we can help. When one of us isn't that strong in an area, maybe you know we're not as outgoing, someone else will be. Maybe someone's a good meter person, someone's a good includer person, someone's good at bringing others. We're just explaining the faith to them. Whatever it is, their strengths come out as we work as a team. And then there's, there's a lot of value in the encouragement that, that the team brings. We looked at this last week, Philippians 1.14. Paul's in prison because of his faith and because of his efforts at trying to tell others about Christ. And he says, many of the other brothers who are following Christ have been strengthened. They've been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And then finally, the value of a team is God uses the witness of the body. That's what, it, that's what people call this. When uh, those who don't know God, they don't know anything about Christ, they start to get around the church. They get around groups of Christians and teams of Christians, and they see them relating differently. And they're drawn to Christ. A fully functioning community, a body of Christ, will draw people to him because of the way they love one another, because of their unity. Those two things. First of all, in a prayer, Jesus talks about unity. And he's praying for us in this prayer in John 17. He's praying for future followers. 
those who were following then and future followers on through the centuries. And he says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So this is a key to others knowing that he really is who he said he is, our unity. Not a fake unity. Not a, fu- a, a unity that pretends that everything's nice and lovely and going along. We work through issues when there's sticking points, disappointments, problems, when we're hurt. Jesus instructs us at another point to work through those things, to clear up relationships when they get messed up, when they get burdened. This is great for churches, for families, for people at work. and Whatever it is, if you mess up, clean it up. That's what he said. It's not a fake unity, like, wow, isn't life nice? Let's pretend like we never hurt each other or bother each other. But we work through issues. Paul, later on, I talked about Paul and Barnabas having their little issue about John Mark. Later on in a letter, Paul mentions that he'd like for him to send John Mark to him because he's become very useful. So Paul, they worked it out. You know, they had a disagreement, but they worked it out. They didn't pretend there wasn't a disagreement. God used the disagreement to multiply the number of teams that were getting out there and doing what he asked them to do. And so we we worked through it. Uh, The unity, not a fake unity, is one way that God uses the church to draw people to himself. And then finally, love is another one. John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Jesus' love is extraordinary, and it's not fake. It's not, I'm going to be nice whether I feel like it or not. No, it's whether I feel like it or not, I'm going to do right by you. I'm going to do what I deem is best for you. It's not ignoring the, the, the struggles and things going on in your heart, but it's pushing through those to show the love of Christ to the people around us. Boy, when, when, when those who don't yet know God get around that, they are drawn to him. And that's our role as a church. That's the, the place God has given us in society, in this world, we're to do this. We want to be a witness in every way we can. I'm uh, going to wrap up the message this morning, and I'd like to share some next steps that you could take um, this week. There's some suggestions. I like to do this because as you hear the Bible taught, there's more understanding as you take a step to follow it, to do what it says. And so here are a couple suggestions. First of all, this week I will pray every day that CIV will add to our number those who are connected to God through Christ. Every day this week, maybe pick five times, just write five times next to it. You could, you could check this on your connection card and drop it in the offering when it comes by if you want. Um, or or th- another thing is this, this week I will find a team to learn from and partner with the fish. I, I'm going to find some people to connect with that I can team up with. We have some teams. If you'd like to do that, we can let you know about those teams that are working together. We're going to crank some more up in the fall, but you could just let us know of your interest in this way. Let's pray. I'd like to ask the band to come up as I pray. Father, we thank you for this assignment you've given us to fish for men and women to help people come to know you and to tell them uh, what you've done in our own lives. 
and what you've done for everyone who will listen and turn around and follow you. Thank you for that assignment because, God, it stretches us, it grows us, it, it brings us to depend on you and to rely on you, and it gets us past ourselves where life can be really exciting as we hope others come to know you. God, thank you for this assignment. I, I ask that uh, you would help us to fulfill it. And those uh, who are here, God, who are just investigating you, I pray that you'd show yourself to them uh, to be real because you are and that you would um, draw them to yourself, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.